You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, I, I should have mentioned, or I could have mentioned, I guess, you know, six, seven, eight weeks ago, we had little uh, Samuel uh, come join us into this world over there. Uh, head trauma not, notwithstanding, no. Uh, so, so little Samuel Rowan. Uh, and then this week, uh, the Prices had their baby. So you might have noticed Brian Price wasn't up here singing. Um, they had their, their baby, little Leah. So they have a little uh, girl uh, of some size, somewhere probably in this, somewhere between here and here, I imagine, is the size of this baby. Um, and, uh, and hey, guys, I'm sure, uh, I say I'm sure you've got like three kids at home. Maybe you're not. But if you are watching, uh, congratulations. Um, so uh, be in prayer for the prices. They're now uh, running zone defense as parents with the third kid there. And uh, we gave up on zone a long time ago in my family. It's just scramble drill all the time. We're just, just always chasing after the loose ball. With I, My wife, she didn't leave me, but, but it feels like it. She's in Missouri with my oldest. And so it's just me and six kids at home. Um, so pray for your pastor as well as I try to survive the next 36 or so hours with all of my children unattended, okay? Um, if you see the big brown van in the McDonald's drive through that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay? So don't judge us uh, right now. <laughs> so... Yeah. Okay, so uh, back to the basics. That's what we're doing today. Today we're looking at the basics of our faith. Uh, and we started this series, I don't know, four, five, six weeks ago, um, after I came back from sabbatical. And we, and we started with an understanding of who is God, right? Because if you're going to understand this Christian faith thing, you need to start with the foundational understanding of who God is. Went all the way back to the beginning, and we saw that God is uh, this creator who is good. Everything he makes is good because he himself is good. He's sovereign. He does what he wants. He's in control. Uh, and he's, he's this, this good, loving person. But he's also just, right? He, he offers judgment and justice when we go against him. Uh, and so he's kind of this dual person between uh, his love and his justice. And they meet in the middle at who is God. And then we found out that we, who we are, is we're the crown jewel of God's creation. You, as a person, when God created mankind, he sat back after he made all the other amazing things. And he said, that is very good. You are the top of God's created order. In fact, he put his stamp on you. The Bible says you are made in his image, in his likeness. That means you have a personality, which God has personality. You have creativity, which God has creativity, right? You, you have an understanding of morality, um, and God is a moral God. That's part of who we are that comes as image bearers. You know, it's not something that the, the monkey has, or that the dolphin has, or that the ant has, Right? That, that's something that God gave to you because you are the crown jewel of God's creation. However, you were also given the ability to make choices. And with those choices came the, the option of sin, and we chose to transgress what God told us. We chose to go against what God said to do. God said, don't eat this one fruit. We said, that fruit looks good to us, so we ate it. And ever since then, we've been transgressing. We've been going against what God has told us to do. Right? God says... You know, don't lie, but sometimes lying feels a lot more convenient than telling the truth. So we lie in that moment, right? It says, don't covet what someone else has, but what that other person has looks so much better than what you have, right? You ever, you've been there, right, at dinner? This is my favorite thing at dinner, and you sit down, and everyone orders their food when you go out, and you look at the person next to you, and you're, you're like, they got it right. 
I got the wrong thing right here, right? Like you had the whole menu and you went through the menu and you chose what you wanted. And then you look at the person next to you when it comes out and you're like, I got out ordered, right? That's coveting. That's in our hearts right now. Now, I mean, like you could probably mortify that pretty quickly um, and not like try to kill them or steal their food uh, and, and let the covetedness die down. But it's in us, right? We compare, we see things and we're broken. Even though God made us to be the crown jewel of his creation, we're broken. Right? And that brokenness, we can't get better. Right? We can only get worse. It's like God is perfectly holy. That's part of who he is. And as long, every time we choose sin, we walk away from God. Every day you live perfectly holy, which if you're me is not very many days. But every day that you live perfectly holy, you just keep the gap between you and God the same. You don't close the gap. Why is that? Because you're not holier than God. Right? You're not holier than God on your best day. On your best day, you're as holy as God. Which, again, I don't have many days like that. So every day, I'm just kind of going like this. God stands still, and I just keep tra- just moving further and further away. And by the time we get to this point of crisis, we realize there's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of things that we can do to bridge this gap, because we can't ever catch up to God's holiness. And that leads us to this big, like, Oh my goodness, that is terrible news. But God, in his infinite wisdom, saw that gap and sent Jesus to bridge that gap. And so we talked a little bit about who Jesus was, that he's God in the flesh, that he came and lived a sinless life to die on the cross for your sins, to make a way to bridge between your brokenness and God's holiness. And Jesus bridged that gap. And if you would confess your sins to God, if you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And at that point, you're covered with Jesus. And so when you stand before God at your judgment day, instead of being judged on what you did not do right or what you did do wrong, you're judged based on Christ's goodness, Christ's holiness. And Christ was perfect just as God, his Father, was perfect. And so we're judged sinless because God was sinless. We're given that status. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything special to to earn it. We were just given it by God. And that's kind of where we are now in the series. Today we're going to turn our eyes to the next major part of Christianity, which is life in the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is kind of this, uh, you know, there was a class in seminary. I didn't take it, so I'm speaking out of turn here. Uh, the, the, The class was called Pneumatology. And it was a theology course studied on the Spirit. It was basically an entire course dedicated to the study of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit did, uh, what he did in the Old Testament, what he did in the New Testament. And in that class, one of my favorite professors, he was my systematic theology professor, uh, Ben Phillips, Dr. Ben Phillips, I suppose, um, uh, had a dunce cap made for that classroom, uh, specifically for that classroom, made a dunce cap up and made people wear the dunce cap. And the way you earned the cap of shame that you did not want to wear, is you use the impersonal pronoun it when speaking of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, uh, the first thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is not an it. Right? The Holy Spirit is a person. And so we use the he person, though he's not gendered necessarily, um, but, but we use the he pronoun because that's how God describes him. But he's not an it. He's not some mystical force out there. It's a person of God. God exists in Trinity. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We've sang that song before somewhere, right? I think that's holy, holy, holy. Yes. Good. 
All right, so we've sang that song. That used to be like hymn number one or two in the hymn book. I mean, it was like the very, that was the leadoff. Um, not anymore. I think they've moved it back somewhere when they reorganized it in its most recent edition. Um, but, you know, the idea is that he's a person. And what does this person do? Well, there's a lot that he does, but I want to focus on two sections today. We're going to be mostly in the book of John, but I'm going to tell you a story from the book of Acts before we get into the book of John. You can flip to Acts if you want. You don't have to, because I'm not flipping there, okay? So this is all off the top of my head, okay? So Acts, uh, we have the, the beginning of the church. Jesus has ascended into heaven. I know this is pretty current for me because I'm doing this with my kids at home. So this isn't like from six months ago, okay? Um, Jesus ascended into heaven, and uh, the, the, the kind of disciples are left standing around. There's 120 followers of Jesus, and they're all kind of standing around like, what do we do now? They're kind of like, well, we'll get another apostle. So they get another apostle, some guy named Matthias. Like, all right, now we got another apostle. Now what do we do? And so they go and they pray together. And they're just kind of having a, a normal church service trying to figure out what the next steps are now that Jesus has died on the cross and he's resurrected and walked around among them for about 40 days and now he's ascended into heaven and they're abandoned. They're like, what do we do? We've been abandoned by Jesus. What's the next step? Jesus has always been there for these people. Their whole like, time being followers of his, he's been there, literally. Like, hey, Jesus, high five. You know, I was giving Eric Robinson a handshake today and then it just into some funky little thing. I was like, man, we just, we just, yeah, we went all the way to the handshake to the very end, right? Like they could have done that to Jesus. And then all of a sudden they couldn't. Jesus wasn't there anymore. He was gone. He was no longer in their vision. He was no longer there to be like, you know, Jesus, can I run something by you? Right? I was thinking about maybe doing this. What do you think, Jesus? He wasn't available for those conversations anymore and they were abandoned. That's a scary place to be. Some of you have experienced something similar to this, and I, and I say this sometimes at funerals, right? When you move into the top generation in your family, right? When both of your parents pass away and you're the top, like all of a sudden you're like, oh, like I don't have, like that wisdom above me is gone. I can't just pick up the phone and be like, dad, what should I do? Or mom, what's, what, what do I need to do about this, right? We, we, you move, it's, a, it's a tough transition when you move into that top generation in your family. And these guys have been with Jesus who has infinite wisdom, not like mama's wisdom, which I'm sure is great, right? Or daddy's wisdom, which I'm sure is wonderful, right? Like, no, they, they have infinite wisdom. They have God in the flesh there, and he's just gone. And so they're praying, they're having this time. And then, just kind of out of nowhere, we have the story of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit just kind of comes down and rests on the, uh, the, the disciples, all the followers of Christ, these 120 followers of Christ. And it looks like tongues of fire, and they start like preaching, and people hear in their own language, and it's like this crazy, miraculous encounter. Right? And that's the, that's the first appearance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. But this thing that we see, and there's a lot that we've talked about in Acts chapter 2, Right, the reason I want to start there is I want to show you like that story of this powerful work of God resting on the lives of believers is not an isolated occurrence in the life of the church. It wasn't a once for all, like that happened in Acts chapter 2, and it never happens again. Now, I'm not sure tongues of fire are ever going to rest on someone's forehead again. Maybe, maybe they will. I don't have a, a theory on that. But I do know that, that the Holy Spirit, He comes and He rests on individual believers at the time of their salvation. 
And we learn a lot about how he's going to do that from John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, open to John chapter 14. We'll start there, then we'll flip to John chapter 15. In John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what happened in the book of Acts. Right When he ascends to heaven and he's like, I'm no more, he's t- he told his disciples very clearly, he said, look, this is what is going to happen in John chapter 14. At a funeral, if you ever go to a funeral that I do, if I have a graveside and a, uh, and a chapel service, I'll almost always read the first part of John chapter 14 because there's great hope there. Right in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come and I'll bring you to myself. Right? Right? That idea in John chapter 14 is that Jesus is going ahead, but he will come back for his disciples. Right? And, he, and he tells this to give them comfort to know that they're not abandoned, that they're not isolated. But he tells them something else after kind of that section, moving down into verse uh, 16 of John chapter 14. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus says, look, I'm going, but the Father is going to send a helper to you. And this is kind of one of the descriptions for the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of the believer. The first thing the Holy Spirit is doing is he is helping the believer. Right? God sent the Holy Spirit for your benefit to help you become more like Christ, right? to become more like the image of God. Uh, and so he's going to help you along the way. And we're going to talk about how he helps us specifically but the first thing that's important to know about this helper is he indwells you, right? It says it there at the end, right? He says, he says look, 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 you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is not distant. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit appeared kind of like in moments. So like Saul, when he was anointed king of Israel, the Holy Spirit came on Saul and filled him. And then Saul sinned. And the Holy Spirit picked up and left from Saul and then went on David for a season as well. The Holy Spirit is kind of like a a localized effect in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, after the, the blood of Christ has washed away our sins fully and completely, the Holy Spirit doesn't rest on us because we're sinful and we struggle. The Holy Spirit indwells us because we're holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because Christ has made us holy, the Holy Spirit is with us forever. He doesn't leave us because your holiness isn't about what you've done. It's about what Christ has already done for you. And that means that no matter where you go, no matter how far you go, the Holy Spirit is with you there. Right? And we've all run. Like if if we're honest in our faith, we've all had seasons of running. We're like, I'm going to do it my way. And I've had times when I've run for months or years from what God is asking me to do, but the beautiful thing is, no matter how far I go, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as someone who's washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Spirit is there with me. The Helper resides with you. He is near to you today. When you feel abandoned, when you feel isolated, when you feel like no one sees you in your pain, the Holy Spirit is there now. He is right there with you, indwelling you. Continuing on, we'll jump down to verse 25 of, of John 14. 
As he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The first help that the Holy Spirit does, aside from being a presence that's with you at all times, is he teaches the believer. Right? The Holy Spirit teaches the believer and reminds the believer of what Christ has already taught them. Right? And this is the idea of, of having some discernment on top of, of, of teaching. So when you read God's Word, and I encourage you, I, I should encourage you more regularly, when you read God's Word, you should be reading God's Word. When you pick up the Bible and you read what God has to say to you, the Holy Spirit is there to instruct you about what it means. Right? Sometimes you ever read the Bible and you're like, I don't get that. Right, I thought that this was written at a third grade level. The NIV, they say, is written at a third grade level. I thought this was written at a third grade level, but I must be a second grader because I don't get what that's saying right now. But as you think on it, the Holy Spirit continues to instruct you in that. You know what the beautiful thing about God's Word is? I've read the Bible, uh, I don't know, probably a, a dozen plus times in my life. And, and I can read through a passage that I've read 40, 50, 60 times, uh, and all of a sudden, God will just draw something out that I've never thought about before. Right? And it's not necessarily new revelation. It's not something that wasn't in there. It's that God makes something real to me in that moment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, teaching the believer. Look, you don't need me to teach you. Right? You don't need me to teach you. Now, you, you, hopefully you benefit from my teaching. I hope and pray that you benefit from my teaching. Otherwise, what the heck are we doing? Right? But you don't need me to teach you. The Holy Spirit is a better teacher than I will ever be. The Holy Spirit is always right when he tells you something in the Bible. I tell you, like if I say it, just double check to make sure that it's in there. Right? Don't, don't, don't just trust me. Blanket trust. The Holy Spirit teaches the believer. And that means that, that when you're in need of guidance, when you're in need of, of understanding, that's who you ask. You say, God, I don't get what I'm seeing here. Like, your word is here, and I don't understand what this means. Will you show me what this means? And you ask God, and he may not, booming voice, say, this is what it means right now. Right? But, but at some point, God will illuminate to you what his word means, because the Holy Spirit teaches the believer as we grow. He also gives us the ability to discern what's good and what's bad. Uh, I've probably said this from the pulpit before, but, but I'm a discerning spirit. Like if I hear something that's theologically bad, not like that I differ on you, like there's a lot of areas in theology that I'm like, whatever, I'm not going to fight about that. But where someone says something that's just wrong, like everything in me is like, that's not right. Right, that same professor with the dunce cap that put people, I, I did that in the middle of my systematic theology class. I was like a 23-year-old uh, seminary student, and he said something and it was wrong. And I'm in the back of the room because I'm that sort of student. <laughs> and I'm like, and, I'm, and he's just, and I'm like, that's wrong. And then like it came out of my face before I could stop it. Because you don't tell that guy who's in charge of like your pass fail in this class that he's wrong like that. You go have a conversation with him privately and be like, so you said this, did you mean that? And then he'd be like, no, actually, I, I was a little unclear. I should have said this. You're like, oh, that's good. Because he's not a heretic. He was just wrong. He was careless in his words. I've, I've been careless in my words up here when someone's been like, hey, that's not right. I'm like, well, shut up. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of, what, kind of what he did to me. I was like, that's wrong. And he's like, what? 
And I was like, what? Da, 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 da. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You're right, shut up. <laughs> then he moved on. But my heart, when it hears something that's wrong, the Holy Spirit inside of me speaks up and is like, no. So you're, I'm at youth camp, and youth camp speakers are notoriously heretical. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why they're so, can be so bad sometimes. They get up there, it's because they're trying to be too cool, too charismatic, I guess. I don't know. And then all of a sudden you're like, nope, that's not right. That's not right. Not at all. And so like that, that thing in you that sometimes knows that something's garbage, that it's not true, that that's not actually what it's supposed to be, that, that part of you, that's the Holy Spirit helping you discern truth from error. Now flip over to John chapter 15, one page or so in your Bible, uh, and we're going to jump down to verse 7. Uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 16, I lied to you, do not listen to me. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says this. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper won't come to you. Uh, but, uh, hold on. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. We're going to stop there. So, so he says, look, it's actually better that I leave. And that's hard to imagine, right? that it's better that Jesus will leave. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you have Jesus with you at all times, that's a tough sell, right? They, you know what? I'm going to leave, but it's better for you. And the reason Jesus says that is because, like, the helper will always be present. Whereas Jesus, like, he has the fullness of God, but he threw off some of the, the divine attributes to be in the flesh. So when Jesus was in the flesh, he was here, like, there, not here in Brockdale, but, but there, wherever he was, he was there. And when he was in Jerusalem, he was not in Galilee, right? And when he was in Nazareth, he wasn't in Bethlehem. And when he was in Egypt, he wasn't in Capernaum, right? He was only in one place at a time, much like you and I are only in one place at a time. But when he goes and the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is wherever the believer exists. And so we have believers around the world right now, probably you know, on every continent, certainly on every continent, uh, we have believers who, who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there now. He is on your pew and hopefully on the pew behind you as well. Right? The Holy Spirit is present in every heart or every believer who is there. That's why it's better. The, the second thing the helper does, though, beyond teaching us, is he convicts us of sin. You ever been somewhere and you've done something and then immediately you feel like this pang of guilt? Like you weren't caught. Like you, you didn't get caught, but you had that pang of guilt in you. It's like, oh, that was not right for me to do. Right? Maybe, maybe you lied to your parents when you were a kid. Right? You go back in time. Some of you, that's a ways back in time. Uh, but, but, but you lied to your mama about something. And then just immediately you're like, oh, that was bad. You don't necessarily tell your mama that. You just kind of deal with the guilt in your own way, right? That moment of conviction is oftentimes the Holy Spirit prodding you to say, stop being an idiot. Stop it. That thing that you're doing is bad for you. Stop doing that thing, right? That is sinful. Stop it. And the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is to consistently convict the believer so that we will put off sin and put on holiness, 
And when that comes, we should listen to the, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because it's possible, right, it's possible to become numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit for a season. And this is when you go deep, deep down into sin. When you've lived for, for months and years in sin. And now the sin that you do that God used to prod you about, the Holy Spirit used to convict you of, does not bother you anymore. Right? The website that you're not supposed to go to, the Holy Spirit convicted you about going to after months and months and months of you uh, denying the Holy Spirit recourse, it stops convicting you. You stop feeling conviction. See, I'd get a Dunscamp there. It. He stops convicting you. You stop feeling conviction in that moment. And it's not to say that the Holy Spirit's not still doing the work of convicting. It's that you've become numb to that. You've become calloused. You ever develop a callus, right? You can't feel in that spot. Uh, my son, uh, the 19-year-old one in Missouri right now, when he was like four, he was running around our living room. And uh, I'm a great dad. I think I've made that very clear in my life here. Um, and he was running around. And, and I was messing with him and whatever. And I just chunked like a couch pillow at him and uh, knocked him over. Which was, But he was turning a corner. It was all good and well. And he just right into the corner of a, of a, of a like shelf that we had and busted his lip open. If you look, he's got a nice little scar right here like uh, the fish on Nemo. Uh, I don't know which fish that is. Gill, maybe? Um, I don't know. Uh, but he's got a little scar right here. And he can't feel a thing right there. Like You could stab him with a needle in that spot, and he wouldn't feel a thing. It's, it's creepy because it's totally dead. There's no sense there anymore. And a lot of us, we, have, we can become very numb to the Holy Spirit to the point that it doesn't matter how hard the Holy Spirit pokes and prods us, we have numbed ourselves entirely. We have severed that nerve because we have chosen sin. The book of Romans talks about that, right? that God will give us over to the sinful desires of our hearts. One of the scariest verses in the Bible. That after you ask for something long enough, eventually God says, you know what, if that's what you really want, you can enjoy the fruits of that for a season. That's a scary thing to me. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. And when you feel that conviction as a believer, that is the moment to repent. Not, not 20 minutes later, not two days later, not the next time you see the preacher. It's the beauty of, of your faith. You don't need to come to me to repent. Right there in that moment, in the quiet of wherever you are, you say, God, I'm sorry. That was sinful. I'm going to stop, and you stop. That is, that, that, that's being sensitive to the, the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So we need to listen to the Holy Spirit when he convicts us of sin, but he is in the business of convicting us of sin to drive us towards righteousness. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing, is trying to drive us to righteousness. And the last thing the Holy Spirit does, the end of this, the next little section here, verse 12 of John chapter 16, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he won't speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The final thing he does, first of all, he, he teaches the believers, he convicts us of sin, and then he guides us in truth. That sounds a lot like teaching the believer, but it's more of like a step-by-step, day-by-day guidance. The Holy Spirit is there to walk with you through this life. Right? The Holy Spirit exists. His, his purpose in this part of our world is to walk with you towards holiness and righteousness. 
And so you have a friend that sticks with you no matter where you are. You have someone to, to take you down the path. And sometimes the path's hard to see, right? Like if you're, some, we have emerging adults in this room here, these teenagers who are getting older, right? That's a tough age, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, as you're emerging into adulthood, figuring out God will guide you through those paths, right? He, he will walk with you through those paths. And so we have to, to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And how do, we, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us? Well, the first thing is we need to remain sensitive to Him when He convicts us. The second thing is we need to pour our hearts into God's Word. Right? You need to be just devouring God's Word. There's two ways to read God's Word, both of which are good for you. I encourage both simultaneously. One is to do Bible study. This is where you get a book of the Bible and you just dive in. You get your references, you get your commentaries, you get books written about this book, and you just dive in. And you can spend, you know, like I, you can spend years on one book of the Bible. That's a wonderful thing to do. I encourage you to do that. That will strengthen your faith in that area. But the other thing that you need to do is you need to consume the Word of God in bulk. You need to read God's Word in bulk. You know, if you read about four chapters a day, you'll read the Bible every year. Roughly four chapters a day. You need to be reading it. You need to be just consuming it. Because as you consume the Bible, as you read the Bible, as you allow it, and I'm not like, like make notes or whatever, but like I'm talking just read it. Just sit down for 15 minutes and I'm just going to read. But as you consume it, you will be more sensitive to the voice of God in your life. And when God is trying to direct your path from A to B, you will be able to discern God's voice in that moment and feel where he's guiding you better because you know the voice of God. You know, you hear people complain about not hearing the voice of God. They're like, well, if I lived back when Jesus was here and I could just talk to Jesus, and he says, this is what you should do, and I could hear Jesus' voice, then I would obey, and it would be a lot easier because I'd have an audible voice. Or the big, booming voice, right, that we all wish that we had sometimes. We're like, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Can you please tell me? And you're crying out to God for him just to answer audibly. But, you know, oftentimes the answer to everything that you need to know, God has already written down for you, and we bind it in pretty bindings, and he gives it to us, and we ignore it. And you're asking God to speak to you, and he's like, I wrote you a book. Like, I wrote it down for you what you need to do. You know, it'd be like me complaining that my parents didn't tell me what they wanted me to do. Well, I always had chores every summer because otherwise we would kill each other in the house. Um, There was three boys in the house that I grew up in. And so my mom would always have chores. And, you know, she would tell us the chores, right? But, But if one day she wrote the chores down and I said, well, you didn't tell us what to do, my mom would not tolerate that. She would wait for my dad to come home and he would wear us out. That's what would have happened in that situation. Right, right, because she wrote it down, dang it. And I, I, I can only imagine the frustration God has to feel towards the church sometimes. Where like, God speak, and he's like, huh? Like this, this Bible here, which has got a lot of notes in it, it's like 1,800 pages. He's like, I wrote a lot. There's a lot in there. Why don't you just pick that up and start reading it? Right, just pick it up and start reading it. And you want to hear the, the word of God, you want, to, you, want to, you want to know what God wants to say to you, read his word. It's literally his words to you. You want to hear God speak, you want to hear the audible voice of God, the words of God out loud, just read the Bible out loud, right? If you want to hear God out loud, you can just read it out loud. I did that a little while ago. Right? Well, boy, it sounded a lot like you. Well, it was God. I'm sorry. 
Pratt, like, like, you want to hear God, read the Bible. He will guide you, and then you'll be more sensitive. I promise you, you will be more sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you again, as strongly as I can, consume the Word of God. Just like you consume your Netflix or whatever shows that you're pounding through or your YouTube channels that you're watching over and over again, you have countless hours that you choose to waste. Countless hours. Some of you are like, oh, I'm real busy. I'm sure you are. I, I don't doubt that you have things going on. But, but if we sit down with your schedule and we, we minute by minute your life, you may spend a few two minutes on the toilet, right? Maybe a few too many minutes on the toilet. Right? You might spend a few too many minutes staring at the TV, listening to the radio, just staring out the window at nothing. Some of y'all can do that. I'm impressed with those people who just stare out at nothing. I can't do it. Right? You have time. Read God's Word. Consume God. I'm not saying you have to read God's Word 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm not saying that's all that you have to do in your life. I'm saying read His Word. Consume it. Four chapters a day, you'll get through it in a year. Some of you have never read the entire Bible. Some of you are 60, 70, 80 years old. There are parts of the Bible that unless I tell you to open and read to them, you're like, I didn't know that was in there. You're like, I know this. It's shameful. Pick up your Bible and read it. And as you do that, that will allow you to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will do what He does, which is to guide us, to help us, and to encourage us through our lives. And He will empower your ministry that God has called you to whatever that is. So today, guys, I want to encourage you. Read the Bible so you can hear the Spirit. Don't, don't quell the Spirit. Listen to His conviction and follow where He guides. You'll find yourselves in places that you never imagined, doing things that you didn't think you could do because God will be empowering you along the way. Let me pray.